One thing that we uh, innately know is that everything has a beginning, middle, and end. And even if we don't necessarily think we know it innately, we learn it at a very early age, don't we? Lily's now two and something. Over two and a half, I know that. Uh, not quite three, not, I don't know, somewhere in there. Uh, but we read stories every night, and what do, you, what do you know about kids' stories? It has a beginning, a middle, where something happens, resolution, end of story. All her Franklin books are the same. All her fairy tales are the same. A beginning, a middle, an end. We grow up and we start reading more adult books like suspense books, thrillers, murder mysteries. We read adult fairy tales, which is Nicholas Sparks books. Uh, we watch, watch Hallmark movies, which are adult fairy tales. And what happens every time? A beginning, a middle, where something happens, a resolution, and then the end. Our sports has a beginning, middle, and end. Our school year has a beginning, middle, and end. Your life has a beginning, a middle, and an end. This universe has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so how's it going to end? Because when you know the end, the middle's not so scary, not so heart-pumping. The blood doesn't pump as much, right? If you watch a, a thriller or a, a movie, a murder mystery, uh, your heart starts pumping in the middle of the movie as everything is happening until the end. Well, if you watch the same movie the second time, your heart doesn't pump as badly, right? Because you know how everything's going to turn out. So how is this universe going to end? There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's not going to end with a big bang. It's not going to just fall apart. The galaxy isn't just going to float away. It's not going to combust in big fire and, and everyone just be done. How is it going to end? That's what we're talking about as we look at the Apostles' Creed today, where, Jesus, where we're told that Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. We continue in our series called I Believe, where we are looking at the Apostles' Creed, that statement of faith written around 100 A.D., and I've said it for seven weeks now. Do you remember the two reasons why the Creed was written? Number one, to inform. Who is God? So the pastors, the theologians, sat down, looked at Scripture, pulled the truths out about who God is, and wrote a statement of faith. It was to instruct. The second reason? To combat. Combat false teachings about who God is. Those are the two reasons the creed was written. And today we focus on Jesus and how he comes back to judge the living and the dead. And I know what you're thinking. Stephen, we know the end now. He's going to judge the living and the dead. You can say amen. We can go to the creed and we can be out of here before uh, 10.05. If only, right? Let's look at God's word. We're in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus, it's the last week of Jesus' life. He's going to die on Friday. Uh, it's earlier that week, and Jesus instructs about the end times. Here's what we're told in Matthew chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people 
from one another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Notice how it ends. The Son of Man comes in all his glory. Jesus is going to come back at the end in the same way he went. And there's going to be a public coronation of King Jesus. If you remember back to last week, we talked about how Jesus ascended up into heaven, how he died, he rose again, and 40 days later, standing in front of his disciples, he just started ascending up behind the clouds, and he was no more. And we said how last week, how when he ascended, he's up on his throne, God put him on the throne, and now Jesus is ruling all things for the good of the church. He's been coronated king, so to speak, already. Jesus is going to come back at the end, all of his glory, all the angels, and there's going to be a public coronation. All the nations will be gathered around him. Every eye will see that Jesus is king. Everyone and everything will bow to the name of Jesus. For you and I, we will bow in humble adoration and praise. For non-Christians, they will bow because they are subjected to the king of the world. Jesus is coming in all his glory. And that's your first point today. How is this going to all end? King Jesus will come in all his glory with all his holy angels and he will take his throne. If you remember, as we talk about Jesus, we talk about two comings of Jesus. His first coming and his second coming. His first coming, he came how? Humbly. Lowly. He left his throne in heaven He came down to earth, born of a woman, placed in a manger, a feeding trough. God himself took on flesh, put in a feeding trough. He was lowly, he was poor, he suffered like us, he died like us, he was buried like us. Why? Because the purpose of Jesus first coming into the world was to save the world from sin. And in order to do that, he had to live for us. In order to save us from our sins, he had to die for us. That's what he did. That's what he accomplished the first time. The second time he comes, it will be to end all things. It will be to be publicly coronated as king on the throne where he will rule for eternity. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. This is what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come back down in all his glory, be publicly coronated, and then he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. He's going to separate the people as sheep from goats. Do you think you could tell the difference between a sheep and a goat? I was so close to having a live sheep and a live goat up here this morning. The Dickinsons have goats, and I prayed they had a sheep so that I could bring both of them up here, and it would have been great, but they didn't. So <laughs> Josh did offer to put on a sheep costume and come up here, but uh, <laughs> he was working on his ba this week, but I decided not to. But to the untrained eye, sheep and goats are hard to tell the difference. But to a shepherd, the shepherd knows the difference between a sheep and a goat. You and I 
may have a hard time differentiating people. Who are the Christians? Who are the non-Christians? But Jesus isn't fooled. He is the great shepherd who knows who are the Christians and who are not, and he will separate them at the end of time, the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then he will judge. And that's your second point today. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to read first, apparently. I had these out of order. We're going to read about how King, King, the King Jesus will come to judge. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, uh, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or, or go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he'll say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. King Jesus will come to judge. That's, this is how the world is going to end. Jesus is coming in his glory, and then King Jesus will judge. And did you notice what he says to those on his right? Did you notice the gospel there? The good news Come, take the inheritance prepared for you. We talked last week about an inheritance. An inheritance isn't something that we earn or deserve. An inheritance is what our parents or grandparents have earned and deserved and gathered and saved up, and then they gift it to us. It's prepared by them. And the same is true with heaven with your eternal life. It has been prepared for you by God through Jesus. Through Jesus' perfect life, through his innocent death and resurrection, God has taken away your sin, has conquered the grave, and he's prepared eternal life for you through Jesus. And at the end, he will say to those on his right, come and take it, receive it. Receive the kingdom prepared for you through Jesus. And how do you receive it? Through faith in our Savior. And yet, since this is a court hearing, there has to be evidence, doesn't there? And that's what Jesus says. You want evidence of faith? I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And he lists it all on. And then you can almost see the people on the right thinking, 
Jesus, I don't want to admit this, but I think you've got the wrong guy. Because when were you hungry? When did I see you hungry and feed you? When did I see you thirsty and give you something to drink? And Jesus said, whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Here's what faith does. Jesus changes our hearts, and then we want to love. And when we love others, it's as if we love Jesus. That's what Jesus does. That's what faith in Jesus does. It changes our hearts to want to love. And the amazing thing is in this court hearing, how many sins are they charged with? None. Jesus doesn't mention a single thing that they did wrong. Because through faith in Jesus, our sins have been forgiven. Through faith in Jesus, we are perfect in his sight. That's what he says to those on his right. But to those on his left, the non-Christians, he says, depart from me. Depart from me. Why? Because of the evidence. For I was hungry and you did not feed me. And after the list goes on, they say, wait a second, Jesus. When did we see you? And Jesus says, if what you have not done for the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you have not done for me. See, that's the, that's the scary thing. When we stand before the throne of God, Jesus expects perfection. He expects to be holy. And if we don't help one person, if we refuse to show love one time, if we miss one opportunity, Jesus says, you didn't do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. And then we are guilty of all charges apart from Jesus. And Jesus will have no choice but to get justice and say, depart from me. To where? Hell. Hell. But did you notice where, who's hell prepared for? The devil and his angels. So then why does God send people, why does Jesus send people to hell? It's not because he's not a loving God, it's because of a day like today. When God's grace, when God's forgiveness, when God extends his hand and says, I have forgiven your sins. Receive it. And yet someone's pride and arrogance refuses to receive the gift. If that's the case, then on that last day, Jesus will have no choice but to say, depart from me. Depart from me. But to those on his right, he will say, come, enter eternal life forever. So what are we to do with all this? What are we to do now that we know the end? What is the application for our life? It's your last point today. What you do in the middle matters. Everything has a beginning, middle, and end. This universe has a beginning, middle, and end when Jesus will come back. We know the end. And so now let's prepare for the end. Let's prepare in the middle for the end. That's what he wished he would have done. There was a college student, and before you ask, no, this was not me. There was a college student who was in college. It wasn't his first year, but it was first semester of that year. 
And he, he was at college, and if he was honest, he was a little undisciplined. Okay, a lot undisciplined. Uh, he spent more time at the local diner than he did in class. He spent more time partying than he did homework. And he shouldn't have been surprised, but he was at the end of the semester when he got his grades and he had failed all his classes. And so he was going home for Christmas break and he decided, you know what, I should probably let mom know and let her break the news to dad. So he sent a text saying, mom, coming home, failed all my classes, prepare dad. He received a text message back saying, dad's prepared, prepare yourself. He wished he would have prepared in the middle before standing before dad. You and I are going to stand before the judgment throne. Believers, unbelievers, Christians, non-Christians alike, we will stand before the judgment throne. We know that's how this existence is going to end, and so let's prepare now. We can choose to live for ourselves. We can choose to live for the sinful passions and pleasures We can live for me. We can prioritize my wants, my desires over God's right now. But in the end, we will stand before God and have to give an account for what we've done. And if there's no faith in Jesus, we are on our own. And he will have no choice but to carry out justice and say, depart from me. Depart from me in hell. I read a great line this week, uh, and I think it's true. Um, in modern Christianity, we try to air condition hell. We try to make it not as bad. We try to downplay it. But hell is horrible. Hell is only pain and agony and gnashing of teeth, anger. Hell, there is no presence of God. And if there's no faith in Jesus, in the end, that's where we will go. Prepare in the middle. What you do in the middle matters. So for us, for us who are on the right, who live for Jesus, who grow in Jesus, Jesus will say, come, take the inheritance prepared for you. And so what, does Jesus just overlook our sin? How's that just? course not. Justice was taken out on our sin. It just wasn't on you and me. It was on our Savior Jesus. Our God, Jesus, left his throne and took on human flesh, like us, to live perfect for us, to die for us, to rise for us. And through faith in Jesus as our Savior, we stand before him with a perfect record because he's given us his. Through faith in Jesus, we've had our sins washed away so that when we stand before God, we are on the right where Jesus doesn't say a single sin that we've ever committed because he's paid for them all. What you do in the middle matters. Prepare to stand before the throne by growing closer to Jesus because at the end, we're going to have to give an account. Do you know what I wish I could say? When I'm standing before the throne, I wish I could say, Jesus, I hear what you're saying, and I just want you to know I did love exactly like you just described. I never missed one opportunity. I gave to the poor. 
I helped those who needed help. I made meals for those who needed meals. I loved like that, but I can't and neither can you. But do you know what we can do? We can point to our Savior who lived that love for us. I wish I could stand before the throne and say, Jesus, here's my self-righteousness. Check it out. I'm righteous. I, I deserve to come into heaven. But I can't. In fact, there are very few purely good things that I do. And you may be sitting there thinking, now, Stephen, you're just being hard on yourself. You're a good guy. Or you may be sitting there thinking, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, But let me illustrate my point for you. Uh, So this year, we're currently sitting about 185 students for school, which means we had to add classrooms, which means we had to furnish all the classrooms. So all these boxes of furniture came in, and all of them, Pat did a good job of putting them all in their rooms. So all the teachers had to do were pull them out, build the furniture, and that's it. And all the teachers have been putting the boxes down in that kitchen hallway, and then we make trips out to the dumpster. Earlier this week, I walked by and I saw that the hall was getting pretty full, and it's about one in the afternoon right after lunch, and so I said, you know what? I'm going to take these boxes out for these teachers. I'm going to love them, and I'm going to do it. So I start breaking down the boxes, taking them out, walking back and forth, And in the middle of the heat, in the middle of it, without consciously thinking it, without trying to think it, all of a sudden I had a thought. I hope these teachers are seeing me. Because, Stephen, you are a good example of what a servant should be. My goodness, these aren't even your boxes and you're taking them out. I really hope that they're looking out the window. And now we see what Isaiah says is right. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags when we stand before the throne. Because even our good deeds, even our good works need to be covered by the blood of Jesus. And so I can't stand before the throne. You can't stand before the throne and say, look at my self-righteousness. But what can we do? We can point and say, Jesus, look at your righteousness for me. I wish I could stand before the throne and say, Jesus, look at my sin and look at how I can take care of it. I can wash myself and get rid of all my sin, but I can't and you can't either. But what can we do? We can point and say, Jesus, when you shed your blood, it purified me from every single one of my sins. When we stand before the throne, it's all about Jesus. It's all about him and what he's done for us and have faith in Jesus, that he's done that for you. What you do in the middle matters. What you do in the middle matters because the end is coming. And when you stand before the throne, your sports, your good deeds, your career, it doesn't matter. What matters is faith in Jesus as your Savior. And so let's prioritize Jesus. Let's prioritize worship. Let's prioritize devotional lives. Let's prioritize developing a relationship with Jesus of confession and forgiveness. Let's crush our pride and arrogance and say, Jesus, this is how I failed, and yet here's how you love me and forgive me. Because then we'll grow in his love for us and in our love for him. Let's prioritize small group Bible studies. Let's prioritize growing in the word, growing in Jesus. Because when we stand before the throne, all we can point to is Jesus for me. And that's exactly what he's done. 
And then one more as we prepare in the middle. Not only prepare yourself, but look at your circle of influence. Who can you build up and encourage in Jesus? I'm not asking you to go to the Starbucks barista. I'm not asking you to go to knock on doors. I'm not asking you to go to a bunch of strangers. Who's in your circle of influence that you can tell about Jesus? Because they will stand in front of the throne too. And what a joy it will be to be on the right with them, to hear our Savior say, come, take the inheritance, the kingdom of God that's been prepared for you since before the creation of the world. Come to eternal life. We confidently, we joyfully, we look forward to the day when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we praise and thank you for your love and your forgiveness that you've won for us at the cross. We thank you that you are in control of all things, that you sit on your throne, that you left it for the first, the first time coming here to win us salvation, and now you sit on your throne and you will come back again to judge the living and the dead. We thank you that you have won us eternal life and prepared the kingdom of heaven for us so that now through faith we receive eternal life forever. Be with us as we prepare in the middle. Help us to grow closer to you. Uh, let us do our devotions. Let us be in the word. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because in the word, we learn about your amazing, unending, undeserved love for us. Uh, help us to tell others and our circle of influence all about you uh, so that they too may be built up in your love and forgiveness that you've won for them. Continue to be with us. Help us to grow in you. And in, uh, all, in all things, remember that you are with us. And let us be encouraged by that. In your name we pray. Amen. Part of tradition in Christian worship is to say a statement of faith. And so we're going to say that statement of faith, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we're going to join uh, with Christians since 100 A.D., the statement of faith about our God. Please stand.